with somebody who's just looking at chat. Uh, welcome, I see Crystal Kilby, Becca, Hope Spring, Christine, RJ, Pastor Murray, JD, Rose, Violet, Jolene, Happy Sabbath. Thanks for coming. Thanks for showing up early and commenting. Just looking for confirmation that I'm coming through clearly and you're also hearing it. Just so you know, we're not going to be able to broadcast comments from Facebook. Uh, we're just having a bit of a technical issue connecting with Facebook. Hopefully you're hearing my voice. Good afternoon, everyone, and happy Sabbath to all of you, no matter where you are. Here from uh, Burlington and Ottawa congregations here from Canada. It's a little bit, uh, it was a cold morning and a cold day, and I can say that winter finally starts coming, knocking on the door. It's still not bad. It's still don't get my, like, in minus 20s or minus 30s, but we can tolerate winter when it comes to temperatures like that. It's nice to... I wanted to say see you again. You can see me, but I can see you. But it's nice that you can join us again for another Sabbath service here. And especially thank you to all of you, especially to do to all of you who are faithful, joining us for almost a year now. And if you're a new one, welcome, welcome on our on our broadcast here. And as always, before we start, just a quick you know announcement about the Passover. If you don't know, we are only like 55 days away, 55 days away before the Passover. On the Hebrew calendar, we are on the month 11 and day 17, month 11, day 17, 55 days till the Passover day. So time is going very quickly. Today is the last Sabbath of January, last Sabbath of January. And next week, when we're going to meet here again, we'll be already February. So thank you again for joining us. And as always, before we start, we'll ask God for, for blessing. And at this time, we'll go to Peter Wilcox, Brother Peter Wilcox from Moral Congregations, who will do the opening prayer. 
Thank you, Brother Jen. Uh, just before our prayer, I'd like to just uh, mention to the brethren if uh, there are those that would like to participate in a service with uh, an opening prayer or reading the scripture, uh, please reach out to Pastor Adrian, Pastor Murray, or Deacon Jen, uh, indicating that you'd like to participate in these services. Uh, a good opportunity for you to glorify our Father. So if we bow our heads now in prayer. Father in heaven, Father of all creation, we pause today on your Sabbath to assemble with you. We ask for your blessing on the message prepared for us today by our brother Adrian. Lord, who are we to receive such goodness? You prepare a table for us amidst our daily struggles, our successes and our failures, even in the presence of our enemies. You anoint us, you wash us, you feed us, you do all this. Shower us with your holy manna, that we might be strengthened for the journey to which you have called us. So we thank you, Father. We thank you, Jesus. All this in his name, Jesus the Messiah. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Brother Peter. And now at this time we'll have an opening hymn. And this opening hymn is taken from page, if you have the old hymnals, from page 245, page 245. My Savior's love, and if you don't have the handle, it's okay. The word will be projected on your screen. So just please join us and sing aloud to God our Savior. Page 245, My Savior's love, and right after this, we'll go to the scripture reading for today. Are you purposely leaving the mic here?
Good afternoon, brethren, and sorry for the technical difficulties there. Um, we're going to continue to the scripture reading, which is taken from 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, all the way to 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. This is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Amen. Thank you, Brother Daniel, for the scripture reading. Now it's time for the announcements. And we have just a few quick announcements. Let me start with, the, I think, one of the most important ones. And let me just read it first. On February 7th, that's next week, the next Sunday at, at 4 p.m., the Burlington Congregation is hosting a Get to Know Burlington Coffee Tea Social. And many of you have been following us for years well, we've never met. So this 30-minute virtual social will give us all the opportunity to put faces to names. If you would like to join us, please reach out to Pastor Murray or Pastor Agent, or please write to us at info at cgicanada.org, info at cgicanada.org. If you write to us in time, we'll send you the instruction on how to join us. Space is limited. If we are unable to accommodate you this time around, we hope to do something like this again in the near future. And for those planning to join us, remember to bring your own coffee, tea. Again, the time is February 7th at 4 p.m. Sunday next week. February 7th at 4 p.m. next week on Sunday. So I know that so many of you have been joining us so faithfully over all these months. It's, it's going to be almost a year from now. So please, if you want to see, if you want to have some interactions with all of us, and we want to see you, you know, we've, we probably see my face so many times, and I would like to, I would like to see your face now, and you know, exchange some conversations. So please join us at 4 p.m. next uh, February, February 7th. And the other announcement, just please don't forget Wednesday Bible study as always at 7:30 p.m. Eastern time, as Pastor Agent will continue in the Book of Psalms, and obviously next week. Please join us again at 2.30 for another Sabbath service coming here from Burlington and Ottawa. So that will take care of all the announcements. And now at this time, we'll have the intercessory prayer. And at this time, we'll join Pastor Mori Palmatier, who will do the intercessory prayer for all of us. Good afternoon, uh, brethren. Welcome uh, again to services here. It's a pleasure to be together. Some updates on some of our previous prayer requests before we get into the actual prayer. Uh, we were asked to pray for uh, one of our brothers from Ottawa, Jean-Michel Belanger. 
he is in hospital uh, with an infection and his residence has been inflicted with uh, COVID-19. So he will not be going back to his residence until that is that is away from there. He reports that his infection is getting better. He's still in hospital and appreciates uh, our continued prayers. Uh, another sister from Ottawa, Margaret Townsend, uh, who had throat surgery. She's recovering nicely from the throat surgery uh, and continues to uh, request our prayers as she continues to heal uh, from that. Uh, from Nova Scotia, we have a few uh, prayer requests update from Nova Scotia. One of our brothers, Alex Nicholson, reports that his um, potential hernia and uh, bacterial infection have healed. He very much appreciates our prayers. He's still dealing with a couple of digestive issues and, um, and would, re- con- would request our continued prayers, but is very grateful to God for uh, bringing him thus far through this and thanks us for our prayers. Uh, from the U.S., one of our brothers, uh, RJ, continues to have some nerve problems. We we haven't heard an update there, but RJ, we pray that God continues to uh, bring you along through this health trial and that you're feeling better. Uh, back to Nova Scotia, uh, Sydney McEachern, our brother who uh, is recovering from hernia surgery and is uh, had the house fired, is uh, coming along well and, again, thanks us for our prayers. Uh, locally here in Burlington, Dylan Swan, one of our brothers here, is uh, recovering from his uh, uh, very, very tough back pain that he's been having over the last number of weeks. He had a better week this week. Uh, please continue to keep uh, Brother Dylan in your prayers, um, but he uh, is feeling better this week. Uh, from uh, over in the UK, uh, Jennifer Monks, wife of one of our MAP candidates, Gary Monks, uh, who had some uh, severe heart palpitation issues uh, last uh, two weeks ago. Uh, had a much better week this week. Um, she does, she definitely appreciates uh, our prayers, um, and thanks us for them and had a much better week this week. She's recovering nicely. Uh, but again, there's still some concern. So please do to continue to keep Gary and Jennifer in your prayers. Uh, we mentioned, uh, Trisha Plunkett from, uh, the out in, on the, uh, Vancouver Island in BC. She continues to go through her health struggles. Uh, we do have a couple of, um, um, Prayer requests are, are resolved prayer requests, and we do praise God for uh, God answers all prayers, but um, um, we praise him when when healing is that answer. Uh, Maria Brown from Nova Scotia, who had a fibromyalgia flare-up, reports that she's, she's uh, much better now and is very grateful for the anointed cloth and the prayers that she received from the brethren. And Brenda Ray from Wichita, Kansas, we have been praying her, for her for a few weeks. She had some nerve issues and uh, pain issues in her shoulder. She is feeling much, much better, and thanks us for our prayers. So uh, in addition to uh, praying for people and lifting them up in prayer, very important that we praise and thank our Father in heaven for um, the healing that that uh, does uh, that he does do. And one, a couple of new prayer requests to add uh, from our Ottawa congregation. One of our sisters, Denise, has a friend, uh, a very good friend by the name of Catherine, who's going through some anemia issues and uh has some uh, uh and it's affecting her colon she does uh, did have some surgery yesterday and we just uh, uh raise her up in prayer for her sister as well that that uh, surgery uh, it, uh was a success and that she comes through that very well and that god uh, can reveal him in jesus christ to her through through her relationship with denise and finally uh from the uh, Kitchener congregation, one of our sisters there, Erica Cinco, her aunt is having surgery on Monday to remove a growth from her stomach, and she requests prayers for her aunt. Uh, and again, as we as we pray for non-believers and or those that aren't in our fellowship, 
we we pray for God to uh, use these opportunities to reveal uh, His great plan and His 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 healing power to people uh, through the 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 healing power of Jesus Christ. So that's that's the the uh, sum total of the prayer requests that we have. Also, we we know that many people have uh, prayer requests that they have not shared publicly, and we've all got many people our own personal prayer requests. We we include all of those in our in our as we as we bow our heads now before God and and ask His intervention in the lives of these people. So do join me in prayer. Father in heaven, our great Creator God and Jesus Christ, our Messiah and Savior. We come before you through the power of technology together as, as your body before your throne, asking you to accept us before your throne, to hear our prayers, to forgive our sins, our transgressions and iniquities that we may be acceptable before you. And in doing so, we, we acknowledge our frailty and our humanity. We so look forward to your coming kingdom when, when these, these health issues that we have, be it Physical, mental, emotional, um, are, are a thing of the past, but we, this does offer us an opportunity to follow your scripture and to come together as, as a, a united body and to lift one another up to you in prayer. The prayers of the righteous avail much. And we just listed a, a number of people who are going through physical ailments. We know during this time of, of lockdown and, and separation that there are, that many, many people suffer, uh, not just physical ailments, but mental anguish, the, the pain of separation. We are not made to be alone. So continue to, to reveal yourself to us, uh, reveal yourself to those that are connected to us outside of the body. Hear our prayers. We, we, we acknowledge you as our great healer. We know we are nothing without you that, that, um, we, we exist each day is a miracle and we are grateful for every, every day that we wake up and are given breath. And father, just the, the many people that are in pain that we are connected to, that we, that we love, that you love, please, in a, please heal them. Please provide your healing power, ease their pain. But more importantly, father, help us all to see to your will. We know that all things work together for good for those who love you. And while we, we beg and plead for your healing. We know that that might not be the answer for, for all of us. And we just ask for you to give us the courage to, to walk through these trials that we, that we walk through these trials together with, with fellow brethren that we hold each other up through these, these times. We thank you for the opportunity to, to again come before your throne together as, as a united group of, of brethren. We thank you for revealing yourself to us. We're, we're so humbled that you know who we are. We're grateful that we know who you are, but it is, it is, it is humbling to know that the creator of the universe knows who each of us is. We thank you. We praise you. We praise your name. We praise Jesus Christ. We thank you for all of these things and this opportunity to come to you in this way for each other. We do so in the name of our elder brother and soon coming King Jesus the Christ. Amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor Murray, for this intercessory prayer. Now, sudden death overtime. You've heard the message. Most of you who join us regularly heard the message last week. That was part one. And Pastor Agent will continue today with part two. Sudden death overtime. But before we go there, we'll have another hymn. And again, we apologize for the technical difficulties. We'll try it again. 
And this time we'll have a hymn on page 239. 239, Never Alone. And right after, Sudden Dead Overtime, part two. Well, greetings, brethren, and welcome to another Sabbath service. Uh, I hope you heard that beautiful piano, and uh, I do feel quite guilty that uh, I could not figure out what was going on. Just a couple of these hymns that are not in the, the, the app, but they're beautiful hymns, and we wanted to play them. So you see the words are on Word, uh, Microsoft Word, um, and I just couldn't understand why it wasn't coming through, but I, I figured it out. 
So God willing, third time lucky that that hymn uh, that we've tried to play for two weeks now. Uh, hopefully you'll be able to be uh, hear the beauty of that hymn as well uh, next week. So last week we had a sermon entitled Sudden Death Over Time. And it was a continuation of the sermon that we had the week before um, brought to us by Deacon Jan entitled, Whom Do You Trust? And if you haven't um, heard that, that sermon, would highly encourage it. And, and Deacon Jan gave a very strong exhortation, a very strong exhortation based on uh, Matthew 24. And in his exhortation, he basically said to us, look, we've got to be preaching the gospel. And we have to be upholding truth. Otherwise, we will cease to exist as a church. And so I wanted to reinforce that exhortation and then add a third. And that is that we should love one another. And I I contextualize that exhortation with the notion that we are now in a sudden death over time period. Now, in saying that we are in this sudden death over time period, I am certainly not saying Jesus Christ might return tomorrow. But what I am saying is that the season has changed. We need to figure out that we're in a different season. In fact, in Matthew 24, Christ gave the example of the fig tree that he actually condemned the generation for not being able to tell that we were in a different season when they can tell when the buds appear on the fig tree, we're in a different season. I gave the example of my son and the maple tree. That for me, when I saw the bud on the maple tree, that was good news. I I love summer. I love spring. I love sunshine. I I love warmth. And so when I saw, I was encouraged. My son, when he saw the buds on the maple tree, he knew suffering was coming for him. And I think that's a great analogy in terms of understanding. Some, Some have discernment. My son had discernment. Suffering is coming. I had no idea. Oh, spring is coming. It's going to be wonderful. Uh, But we should not be looking to the red maple. Christ says, look to the fig tree. And so the season has changed, and we need to be watching the fig tree. Let's begin in 2 Peter Peter, uh, 3. Let's go to 2 Peter 3. And I want to start there because, brethren, I'm speaking to you, which have a high view of Scripture. I'm not talking to anybody who has a low view of Scripture. So if you don't care about what the Bible says, if you don't take the Bible seriously, uh, if you're not searching the scriptures to see if these things are so, to turn off this message. Go find something else. to. This is just cheap entertainment. I'm sure you can find cheaper and more entertaining uh, channels than this one. Uh, but if you do have a high view of scripture, uh, this is who this message is for. And in 2 Peter 3 and verse 1, Peter writes, The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. So these are things that they knew that he wants to stir up their minds, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. If you don't care what the holy prophets have to say, then we don't have a conversation. But if we actually care about what the holy prophets have said, then we we want to search the scriptures to see, is our interpretation of the scriptures accurate? So we want to be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So this is what we want to be mindful. Now, what does he say next? 
knowing this first. So what should we know first? That there shall come in the last days scoffers. So as we say, we're heading into this over time. We're over time. So what I said last week was, God has allotted 6,000 years, six days for man, and one day the millennium of rest. And we are striving to enter into that millennium of rest. At some point, we are going to enter into the millennium, into the kingdom. Now, if you don't believe in the kingdom, then your view is like, nothing's changed. Nothing is going to change. Things are just the way they are. But if we believe, if we have a high view of scripture and we take the words of the prophet seriously, what Peter wants us to know first is that in these last days, when we do enter into the overtime period, overtime meaning we've gone past the regulation season. You know, we're, we're past, Adam was, was created over 6,000 years ago. So we are well past the regulation season. It, it, we could enter into the millennial period and, and what ushers in the millennium period at any time. And we want to clarify what, what, it does, what exactly do we mean by sudden death. But before we do that, we need to know this first. That there shall come in the last days scoffers. So we expect scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, ha, where is the promise of his coming? So we are looking for his appearing, and they're laughing at us and saying, yeah, yeah, oh, you're getting all excited now. Where's the promise of his, 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 his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, and notice these are believers, these are part of the community. Uh, we read Hebrews 3 last week that said they received the, the gospel, but they didn't believe, so it didn't benefit them. But here they are in the end time. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Peter says, for this they are willingly ignorant of, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old. So God created the heavens by the word of God. And the earth standing out of the water and in the waters, when he separated the waters, this is all by his word. Whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. And we spent some time looking at Christ's um, warning about the end time being like the days of Noah. And that as the flood took the wicked away, Peter's reminding us of this. That the world that then was, it was created by God's word, and that world was then overflowed with water and it perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store. They, they don't understand God's, God's manifestation and, and his orchestration and how he works and how powerful his word is. So when the prophets, the holy prophets of old, spoke his word, we do well to take heed. Let the scoffers scoff. So the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, the very same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So brethren, it's coming. Wait for it. But he says, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. And so this is where we say Adam was created now over 6,000 years ago. So, you know, the, the, the millennial reign of Christ is overdue. God is patient. He's gone, he's gone past the time. And so we can expect, and Christ tells us, that in the end time, 
there's going to be an acceleration of events that, that once these things start to happen, they're going to snowball and, and, and just gather momentum and happen in a very accelerated way. So we need to be careful, as Christ warned, not to be among those who do not pay attention. And so I pointed to the new administration as a change in season, that I'm not an American, but I am concerned about America because of its place in the world. And that now that America has been overtaken by self-avowed Marxists, I'm not saying they're Marxists. They're saying they're Marxists. They're saying they're socialists. They're the ones that have congressmen praying to uh, uh, Brahma with, and, and concluding the prayer with a man and a woman, demonstrating a despising of Christ. We ask it in the name of the monotheistic God Brahma and the God known by many names, many different faiths. What? A man and a woman. Congressman Emmanuel Cleaver. This is what's going on in the U.S. Congress. On his first day in office, the new president signed um, a, a series of executive orders. In fact, in the first week, I think it's over 30 executive orders. But when I say that they, they, don't, they hate Christ, I mean the Christ of the Bible. I, I'm not saying that um, you know, they're not going to say, oh, we love Christ and, and speak the words of Christ. I'm saying if you open the Bible and show them the words of Jesus Christ, they don't, they don't support Christ. And the fact that on his first day in office, he uh, passed this bill uh, around transgenderism. He has this executive order that, uh, around transgender rights that, that now men who identify as women can um, compete with women in sports. Boys can use women's bathrooms. You know, this does not come from God, brethren. I hope we understand this. That Jesus Christ, the creator of all things, the entire material universe, when he created man, he created man in his own image and likeness, and he created man male and female. So this transgenderism is a Marxist affront to God. And when I say Marxist and they hate God, that's exactly what I mean. If if we don't, if we don't, if we have not studied Marx, you know, let's let's be very clear about Marx's uh, view of God. What does he say? He says that um, his object in life, his purpose, his objective in life, is to dethrone God and destroy capitalism. So all these folks who are signing up to this philosophy, and we have to understand the power of philosophy. You need to understand this is, this is what is behind, this is the spirit behind Marxism. And then he signs some additional uh, executive orders. What does he say here? Now, this is why we care, because America is a hedge around Judah. As long as America is strong and leaning towards Judah, Judah can be in the midst of her enemies and remain strong. But now we have that, um, this policy towards Iran. That now Israel, in order to survive, may have to use military force, and Israel meaning Judah, uh, they're going to have to learn that horses and chariots are not going to help you if you've turned away from God. What else does he say? That he has now appointed, this new administration, has appointed an American Muslim, an activist, Mahar Bittar, in a key intelligence post, which has 
tremendous, devastating implications for the tiny nation of Israel, which is the tribe of Judah. Again, uh, we see this article that says that um, the new administration is announcing, announcing restored relations with the Palestinians. So all of this matters, brethren, that we need to understand that the season has changed. And, you know, God bless our American brethren because they live in the greatest nation that has ever existed in the history of mankind by far. The most powerful, the wealthiest, and the most benevolent. I'm not saying perfect. But of all the empires that have ever existed, our American brethren are blessed to live in the greatest empire that has ever existed in the world. But Karl Marx says this. Uh, this is an, um, an expert on Marx who says that Marx hated religion with an unrelenting passion. And he saw the eradication of religion as the absolute sine qua non of a just society. So when we see everybody shouting for justice, shouting for justice, this is Marxism. This is cultural Marxism. And at the root of it is sine qua non, which means the essential element, the absolute necessary or indispensable condition, is the removal of religion. And so if we're going to have an opinion on this, we need to study Marx. We need to be familiar with his teachings. We need to be familiar with Gramsci, Antonio Gramsci, and the Frankfurt School. We need to understand Jacques Derrida and Michel Foucault and how, culture, how Marxism has evolved into cultural Marxism and how that evolved into postmodernism and how this transgenderism, it's postmodernism, where they take control of the language and they blur reality and there's no such thing as reality because we're now postmodern. Everything is just perception and it's all about power. And all of this ultimately is leading us into a new world that the, 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 the objective of Satan is to destroy the promises of God. And God has many covenant promises that, again, God bless our American brethren. We live in the greatest nation that has ever existed. But that doesn't mean we must be totally preoccupied with America. We are watching America because Christ told us to watch the Middle East. The Bible is a book about the Middle East. And Matthew 23 and Matthew 24 are all about Judah and Jerusalem. And, and there's a hedge around Judah. There's a hedge around Jerusalem. And that hedge is now being dismantled. The buds on the fig tree are beginning to appear. So, you know, we had hoped, I personally had hoped, for a continuation of uh, the Trump administration. Not that Trump is perfect. He's a very flawed man. His flaws are on, on, on uh, display for the whole world to see. But he did create the strongest economy that the world has ever seen, the strongest economy for the strongest nation that the world has ever seen. And during that period, we certainly had freedom. As a church, we could function with limited censorship, if anything. But as we see this new administration come in, brethren, we're going to see increasing levels of censorship. We're going to see already mayors are signing up across America, I think 30 so far, have signed up to a guaranteed basic income that, you know, you just without doing anything, you don't have to work, you don't have to do anything. The government's just going to write checks. And just 30 mayors so far have signed up to say, this is what they're going to do. Just start writing checks for citizens. Uh, the new administration has said that uh, America should not have borders. 
the new America, the new administration has said that all 10, 11, 12 million illegal immigrants that are in America, they must stay. That no, there will be no deportation. Who knows who is in that batch of people? And now they can stay. Borders can be open. So back to business for all the human traffickers. Traffickers of children, traffickers of women, traffickers of drugs. Borders are open. Back to business. Wealth can be created again. And there's going to be war in the Middle East, I believe, because war is a money-making machine. There's going to be economic collapse because economic collapse is a money-making machine. I used to think that in economic collapse, everybody is poor. Everybody gets poor. No. During economic collapse, incredible wealth is created. And so now with the fall of America to Marxism, there is no serious opposition to globalism. This is my point, brethren. And, and the point is, now we're in sudden death overtime. Now the spotlight is going to be on the church and on our ability to function in this new environment. So the Trump administration is gone. Get over it. See, a lot of uh, brethren who are just so, you know, 2024, the Trump 20, uh, Pastor uh, Deacon Jan asked the question, who do you trust? Do you trust Donald Trump? Is he your savior? Or do you recognize that, okay, he was there for a period. Uh, it created incredible wealth. Uh, it was amazing for a lot of people. Uh, he's gone now. Uh, and from my understanding of Marxism, he's not coming back. There is absolutely no, they would rather burn the place down than allow him back. So we have to shift and understand what does the world look like under this new administration, which is clearly a globalist administration. Build back better is not an American slogan. That didn't come out of America. It doesn't promote America. Build back better is a slogan from the World Economic Forum. It's a globalist slogan. Make America great again is a, it's a uniquely American slogan. You might not like it, but it's uniquely American. Build back better is not an American slogan. So we are now in this sudden death period. And I just want to make sure we understand what it means for us as Christians. As we move now into this new season, potentially our final season in the history of man before we usher in the kingdom of God. Sudden death can mean one of two things for the Christian. So sudden death means when it's over, it's over. For the Christian, it could mean martyrdom. Because when Christ uh, unveiled the fifth, the, the, the fifth seal, the martyrs cried out, how much longer? And they were told, they were given uh, white robes, and they were told that they should rest for a little more. Now we're in this overtime period while we wait for their fellow servants to be killed as they were. So there's an expectation of martyrdom for Christians. And I just think all of us, if we signed up to be Christians, and as we observe the Passover every year to focus and understand his, we don't celebrate his birth and just think that's all there is to Christ. He actually commands us to remember his death and observe his death and learn from his death. So if we have signed up to follow Christ, then we are prepared for martyrdom. And as the seasons change, what I'm saying is we need to verify and validate that we are, in fact, ready and willing to follow Christ all the way through to the end. So that could be one uh, definition of sudden death, that certainly the scriptures support that. The other definition of sudden death is where we were last week. And let's go to 2 Thessalonians. Uh, chapter 2. 
And in verse 11, the Apostle Paul writes this to Thessalonica. And for this God cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned, doomed, who believe not the truth. And this is what Deacon Jan was getting at two weeks ago, that we have to uphold the truth. But these who do not uphold the truth, there's no reason for them to exist, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Christ says he's coming as a thief in the night. Uh, it doesn't mean that when he comes, nobody will see him. Because he t- makes it clear when he comes, he's going to light up everything, and the whole world will see him. So what it means is connected to his appearing is something else. And that something else is right here in Second Thessalonians. And that's the thief in the night. That's connected to his coming, but that's going to take away the faith of many before he comes. That's why he warns us in Matthew 24, that brother will betray brother. And so we have to be among those who do not allow our house to be broken into. The sudden death can either mean martyrdom for the Christian, or that's the victory. Christ was victorious when he was martyred. Stephen was victorious when he was martyred. Christians throughout the ages have been victorious through martyrdom. That's one definition of sudden death in this overtime period. The other definition is we apostatize. We are deceived. We betray our brother, we betray Christ, and we lose everything. And that is the victory of the opposing faith. Both are possible. And that's what we need to explore. And that's where I said that we want to add now this third exhortation to Deacon Jan's first two. We have to uphold the truth, and we have to preach the true gospel. But having done all of that, what is it that's going to ensure that we stand and we, we win God's approval when he returns? And it's that we must love one another. And this is not some sort of syrupy, sugar-coated, oh, I just love the brethren. This is deep, deep love that must be developed. And this is what God is looking for from us. So Christ is going to unseal in this, in this period now. He begins to, to loosen the seals in the Apocalypsis. The book of Revelation, we see this. And untold deception and violence descends upon the earth. And this is, he warns us, okay, when this happens, many will betray one another. And so for the past four years, I have been warning against this whole Black Lives Matter Marxist movement. And, and it's been painful to see our own brethren fall for it and, and, and allow it into the church, create, creating division and turning brother against brother. Now, white cannot trust black, black cannot trust white. We shouldn't bring that into the church. And now equally, brethren, I'm concerned for our American brethren who feel the election was stolen from them, who perhaps are very, very fond of of President Trump, and who have not only First Amendment rights, but Second Amendment rights. That this this kind of hatred that's being whipped up, not just in America, but all over the world, it's it's a it's a it's a spirit of hatred that's being that's being um, just infused into the world that you saw what happened on the Capitol on January 6th that okay there's some instigation but then people just get swept up in it and I think that it's very dangerous now for our Republican brethren who feel the election was stolen from them to use that as a reason to hate brethren who may have have voted Democrat 
this should not, this sort of hatred should not come into the church. It's like, okay, that's, that's the way it is. We accept God's will. In fact, I was listening to a person who had voted Democrat, Henry Davis, who was being interviewed, seeing a grown man cry, a black man. But he said, you know, he uh, just went out and bought a brand new car. Uh, and now with uh, the first day in office with this executive order, just destroying the, the mining industry, he's, he's out of work. He's got to sell this thing. He's, he's, he's got a house. He's going to lose his house. Uh, and, and so he himself regrets the way he voted. But we, we can't allow these sort of um, philosophies and, and politics and worldly affairs to cause hatred between brethren. And I think as this new administration gains traction, those who wanted the previous administration to continue, uh, just fair warning. Same thing I said four years ago to, regarding Black Lives Matter. Don't allow, that, don't allow these worldly issues to create division and hatred. We should not be despising the brethren. So it's a great question that uh, Deacon Jan raised in, in titling his sermon, Whom Do You Trust? If we truly trust God, then we're just observing. And we're just understanding, okay, well, now this has changed. We thought we, you know, I thought it was going to go one way. There's a certain kind of work we can do when there's, there's freedom and there's economic prosperity and people can do what they're doing. That's one type of work the church can do, and we ought to pray for that. But if that's all taken away and there's global economic collapse and, and, and men who speak truth are imprisoned and censored, and this does not stop the work of God. It just changes the work of God. And whom do we trust? It's a great question. So don't get caught. And, and also our Democratic brethren, our brethren in America who, who do, do vote Democrat, um, don't fall into what I'll call the president's snowball syndrome. And, and, and you would have to have read Animal Farm. As or George Orwell just shares with us how these things work. And you have to have a boogeyman. And so president, you snowball left and they ran him out of town. But they continued to build this rhetoric of how horrible he was and hatred in order to stir people up and distract them from how they were being oppressed. So we don't trust men. We just observe. So Jan, in his uh, sermon two weeks ago, he really used Matthew 24 as the jumping off point to show how we must preach the gospel and uphold truth or we'll cease to exist. What I want to do now, brethren, today, and building off last week as well, last week was more context is show how the third exhortation for us to survive in this sudden death over time, to make sure that no matter what happens, we are victorious, is we must love one another. And to do that, we need to triangulate three passages. Matthew 24, which Deacon Jan covered. But then I want to triangulate, last week I spoke about 2 Thessalonians 2, and then I want to add to that the exhortation from the Apostle John who was the longest living apostle, who gave us, or God gave him, the book of Revelation, who had a very strong understanding of the end times. And both the apostle Paul and the apostle John, both of them together, exegete Matthew 24. So, so what Christ taught the apostles directly at Matthew 24 and, and uh, Paul later, uh, they had a deep understanding of how what Christ taught in Matthew 24 would unfold. So with Matthew 24 in mind, I want us to review again 2 Thessalonians and, and then look at the teachings of the Apostle John. All with the intent to show you from the scriptures that we must love one another in order to survive. 
and, and we're just in the opening acts of this overtime period. Uh, so Black Lives Matter was just like first, first foray into this new world. Now, I, I would call it Trumpism. I think Trumpism is another one where people cannot let go. It's like he's out, oh, he'll be back in 2024. I strongly doubt it. I, I really don't. Maybe it's possible, but I really don't think so. Can you live without him? Can you live with, is, is he your savior? And do we bring Trumpism into the church so that now there's hatred of those who, do not, who did not vote Trump? And then for those who did vote uh, for the new administration, do they hate those and censor those and have to hunt down those? And we bring this politics. Not that we can't be speaking about politics or aware of politics. We absolutely must because the Bible is a book from Genesis to Revelation about politics. It's all about authority and power. Genesis to Revelation. And we need to be aware of it. But we can't be so caught up in this world that we begin hating one another. And Satan will take us out any way he can. What's your favorite deception? Satan will use it. And then there's a big deception that's coming, which we'll see. So let's, let's go into Second Thessalonians, then let's look at the Apostle John, and then I just want to conclude with a few sort of high-level things I think we need to be doing as we head into the Passover season. Second Thessalonians, let's go back for context to chapter 1 and verse 4. Second Thessalonians, chapter 1 and verse 4, he says, So that we ourselves glory in you, in the churches of God, the different congregations that they refer to. We ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith. And Christ warns us in the book of Revelation twice, actually, that in your patience, so so he says in in the Gospels, in your patience you'll possess your souls. But in Revelation he says, this is the patience of the saints. There needs to be a big picture vision in order to get through the troubled times ahead. And if we don't have that big picture vision, We're going to get caught up in carnality and division. So he says that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Christ warned them you have to endure to the end. And so there's all this um, persecution and tribulation, and yet he's seeing in these brethren patience and faith to see them through all of And then he says that this patience and faith that he sees in them through the persecutions and tribulations, he says, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God. In in the Greek, he says, the endima tes dikeos chrysios tu theu, which is, and this this word, the righteous judgment, the dikeos chrysios. And I hope you hear dikeos. We talked last week about laos, dike, dike. So this dikeos, it's translated righteous here, and then chrysios, uh, which is really the, the judgment of God. But dikeos means, by implication, just, innocent. And, and that's sort of the noun, but another form of that or root of that is dike. Laos, dike. And dike means justice. Judgment, vengeance, punishment. So this, and then the verb of it, decao, means to, according to Bedag, to take up a legal cause. Uh, Strong says it's to to, um, justify. To justify shows that someone is righteous. Uh, Bedag, this 
is the Bauer, Denker, Arndt, and Gingrich um, lexicon, says to take up a legal cause, to show justice, to do justice, to take up a cause, to take up the cause of an upright person. So there's here in this text of 2 Thessalonians 1.5, we want to just zero in on this word, that what we see social justice, what Karl Marx is using to remove religion from society, but here we see righteous justice, the justice of God. And, and it's who God decides is just. And that's why we can't get caught up in men. So when we have brethren, again, I warned, for four years I warned, but then we had brethren caught up with George Floyd and defending him, defending his right as a just person, even to the point of railing against elders. And now I think we're going to see, I hope we don't see, that you know, would God come and save Donald Trump? Would God come and declare Donald Trump an innocent man? Or would he be subject to judgment, righteous judgment of God like everybody else, and have to repent? And so we have to be very, very careful, brethren, who we declare as righteous. We want the righteous judgment of God. He's the one that declares who and what is righteous. And, and I, I keep saying, like, if we have a view of Christ as returning to this earth with ha- a happy face and smiling, just wants to give the whole world a big hug, we haven't been reading the Bible. It is very, very clear as we read the scriptures that Christ is returning with incredible wrath and anger. And, and there's very few that he's going to declare righteous. And we have to be, brethren, we have to be among those. That's the sudden death. We, we have the Holy Spirit. We have this understanding. We can't afford to let it go. Others, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, others who don't know God, yes, they will face this terrible time, but they will have their opportunity, even if they die during this period. They'll be resurrected, and they will have a hope for the future when the veil is lifted. But this is our moment. We can't afford to lose. So verse 6, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. So he's coming to declare you righteous, you have suffered persecution, and he's going to recompense. This is the justice. This is the decaos justice of, of God. That he's, It's a righteous thing. It's a decaos thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. So, so we need to have to read these scriptures, understanding they're time released, and as we ed- enter into this time of trouble, these scriptures are going to become more and more meaningful to us. But as we enter this time of trouble, we, we get comfort. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, And everybody thinks, or many think, oh, he's not coming. Everything's just going to continue the way it's always been. Tomorrow will be much like yesterday, only better. Uh, No, no. We have a high view of Scripture. And the Scripture is very, very clear that, yeah, things will seem like they're going along, going along, but then suddenly the season is going to change. And we're going to enter into this accelerated period of trouble. And we cannot be surprised. And so as we enter into this period, he says, hey, rest with us. We've been through this. You know, when John reveals the book of Revelation or shares the book of Revelation with us, he says, I'm your fellow uh, witness. I, I, I have also suffered tribulation. And indeed he had. So you who are troubled with us, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed. This is the parousia. That's what we're looking for, the appearing of the Lord. He will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. 
and he's coming with great wrath, but he's coming to save his people. <clears throat> in flaming fire, doing what? Taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is again where Deacon Jan said, we have to preach the gospel, not to try to convert as many people as possible. God will decide who will respond to the gospel. But we have to preach it as a witness to the whole world. And Hebrews 3 shows us that the covenant community can have the gospel, it can hear the gospel, but it's also equally capable of not believing the gospel. And so when Christ returns, they will not enter his rest. Sudden death overtime, it's over. There's nothing they can do at that point to try to get back and be right with God. So he will take vengeance on them that know not God, who have been with us, and may be turned away, and then when they turn away, they are persecuting us with intensity. This is the history of the church. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints, he's going to be glorified in his saints. So we will suffer, we will rest, we will be patient, because we have a vision of the glory that's to come. When he shall be glorified in his saints and be admired, in all them that believe in that day. So, so our testimony, he says, was among you, you. You believed our testimony. And so he's going to be glorified in his saints. We believe this. Wherefore, we, we, there, wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling. So it's not automatic. It's not just, you know, put your feet up, you know, have biscuits and tea, and that automatically qualifies you. No, he's praying always that God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. So again, uh, Deacon Jan had mentioned in his message that God has given us, hasn't given us a, a, a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And we can do this, brethren. And, and it's going to be God who's going to fulfill his good pleasure as he did in Christ. He can fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness in us and the work of faith with power. That it doesn't matter how the world changes around us. All that, I mean, it matters in the sense that our work changes. The nature of our work changes. So we need to be ready to work differently as we enter a new season. But it doesn't change the outcome. It doesn't change the fact that we're heading to glory. It doesn't change the fact that we have a gospel to preach. It doesn't change the fact that we have to uphold truth. And we can do all of that in faith with power. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and there it is again, you're going to constantly see this name of our Lord. In the end time, it comes into focus. And we shall be hated of all nations for his name's sake. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. You'll be hated for it, but it will be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. All of that now leads into, now we beg you, brethren, by the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is, what we're, this is the issue of the end time now. When will he appear? And we're begging you by his appearing, by his parousia, and by our gathering together unto him, this is what we're all striving for, that you be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. This, this is, he's exegeting what Christ said. When the disciples asked you, what's the sign of your coming? The first thing he says is, look, are you going to see these things? This, this is not the sign of my coming. In fact, this is just the beginning of troubles. So when we say sudden death overtime, 
We're not saying Christ is going to appear tomorrow. The scripture speaks against that. But we are saying this is a new season. This is the beginning of sorrows. And this is the period when things start to accelerate. And in this period of acceleration, brother will betray brother. The love of many will wax cold. There'll be many deceivers and many will be deceived. So this is the period we're entering into now. And so Matthew 24 and 2 Thessalonians need to be read together. Because the Apostle Paul is exegeting what was taught in Matthew 24 by Christ himself. So deception is the order of the day. And we're looking for his appearing, but we're not getting excited that he's going to, get, he's going to appear tomorrow. No, we're looking for another appearance before his appearance. And Paul's going to explain that here, as Christ also explained it. He says, let no man deceive you. Deception is the order of the day. There's going to be many deceivers. So don't let anybody deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come, except there come an apostasy first. There has to be an apostasy first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. And don't go looking for apostasies that happened decades ago or hundreds of years ago and say, okay, well, that apostasy happened, so therefore Christ can return. No, if we read the scripture carefully, the apostasy and the man of sin, the beast, are coupled, tightly coupled together. They come together. We're looking for the apostasy that is connected with and coupled with the man of sin. So the man of sin will be revealed. There's a parousia. There's an appearing of the man of sin. An apocalypsis, this is the, the revelation. There's going to be a revelation of the man of sin. And with that revelation, many, the love of many will wax cold. Many will be taken out. And this is what we have to understand. It says here, this man of sin, in, in verse 4, he opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. Or that is worship so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is Satan's man. This is Satan's desire. This is all Satan's whole reason for being, is to be like the Most High. And just as Christ uh, was incarnate and came into the earth, this is the counterfeit. And he says, don't you remember that when I was with you, when I told you these things? And now you know what withholds that he might be revealed in his time. So there's something that's been holding this back so that the man of sin would only be revealed at the right time. And then he says this, for the mystery of iniquity does already work. Only he who now lets will let until he be taken out of the way, and then shall the wicked be revealed. So the mystery of iniquity is already at work. We're going to see that John is going to say the exact same thing in a different way. But we're looking for the appearing of our Lord. And what the apostle is saying here is, okay, we're looking for the appearing of the Lord, but some things have to happen first. First, we have to see the mystery of iniquity at work. Paul is going, or John is going to describe this as many antichrists are already at work. Then we're going to see that wicked. John is going to call this one the antichrist. That wicked is going to have its parousia. It's appearing. And then Christ will then appear. But in the mystery of iniquity, the Antichrists, and then the Antichrist, coupled with that is the complete spiritual destruction of those in the covenant community. This is why Christ said, many shall be betrayed. 
the love of many shall wax cold. There will be many deceivers deceiving and being deceived. That's what this is all about. This is a strike in the overtime period on the church of God. So this is the time that Dan now he's saying, look, this, you have to understand the order of operations here. First, the mystery of iniquity is going to be already working. And then, and then something's holding back the Antichrist until it finally allows the Antichrist to proceed. And then that wicked shall be revealed. There's the, the appearing of the wicked, whom the Lord shall destroy with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his parousia. So first there's the appearing of the Antichrist, and that has to come first. And with it, the deception and destruction of many in the covenant community, the, the apostasy. It's coupled together. And then Christ appears. Because he says he's coming as a thief in the night. A thief comes and he, he breaks in and he takes what's most valuable. And so Christ is saying, before I appear, I'm going to, to come or, or attached to my appearing is going to be something that is going to take that which is most valuable. And I want to see how much do you want this? Are you truly of the stock of Jacob who wrestled with the Lord all night and said, I will not let you go? until you bless me. And God honored that and called him Israel. Or are we of the spiritual stock of Eden? Who said, oh, what's the difference? I'm about to die anyway. I'll, yeah, I'll give up my birthright. I don't care. I just want the bowl of soup. I just want here and now. So this is what God is testing. And he's using this antichrist to test the church. And so the apostasy is coupled with the appearance, the parousia of the antichrist, and then leads into the parousia of Christ. Verse 9. Even him, listen to what Paul says, even this Antichrist, whose parousia, his appearing, it's, at, it's after the working of Satan. That's, that's, what, God, that's what Satan is doing. This, this is the pinnacle strike of the devil against the whole world. And that's where this globalism is headed. Whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power. This is it. This is it, boys. This is like... Satan understands he's in sudden death over time. That there's not, no, not, not much time left now. This is it. So he pulls out all the stops. And hopefully, my appeal to us, brethren, is we understand the period that we're in. And that we're not going to just you know, skate around the ice completely oblivious to what's going on. And there's just goal after goal after goal, knocking out brother after brother after sister being knocked out. And we're just oblivious. In fact, we're helping the enemy. No, he's coming with all power. Listen to this. Satan is coming, using this Antichrist, but he's coming at it with all power and signs and lying wonders. And listen, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness. This is, this is quite a mouthful. This just, just, you know, again, think of Ephesians, the study we did on Ephesians, and, and the powers uh, that we're, we're up against. But he says here, and we know the power that we have access to, if we're aware. But, but listen to the language. This Antichrist is not just going to come and, oh, it's the beast and he's attacking everybody and that's a terrible thing. No. This Antichrist, when he comes, he's coming with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness. With all the deceivableness of unrighteousness. Why? And, and what's all this about? Well, all of this power is manifested in them that perish. He is taking out the church. That's why there has to be this apostasy that's coupled with the, the man of sin. Because the purpose of the man of sin, the high purpose of the man of sin, is to take out the covenant community. 
And so there's going to be this incredible level of deception that's going to work in them that perish. Now, why will it work in them that perish? Go back to Deacon Jan's sermon. Because they receive not the love of the truth. That they might be saved. This is how important the love of the truth is. That there's something about the truth that we have. That even though Satan pulls out all the stops and uses his incredible intellect and all of his powers of deceit, and he just throws everything in the kitchen sink at us, it's because we love the truth that he cannot catch us. That we stand right up until the end of the game, and we stand victorious because we love the truth. But not all. Not all. Just as in ancient Israel, the gospel was preached to them, but they didn't believe. They didn't love the truth. They didn't wrestle with God all night to say, I I won't let go until you bless me. Verse 11. So because of all of this, just think of this dynamic, that Christ is not going to return until the man of sin is released. So the mystery of iniquity already at work is sort of um, paving the way, loosening people up. So what we've seen uh, with this uh, cultural, global cultural Marxism around the world, this is just sort of um, preparing the mind, shifting the orientation of how people think, changing our value system, you know, wearing a mask, that's how you demonstrate virtue, but you can fornicate, you can be a pedophile, you can do all kinds, but that's okay, that's fine, in fact, we encourage that, but don't you, don't you go outside without wearing a mask, that, that's wickedness, so people's uh, value system all being messed up, all of this is preparatory for the man of sin finally aware, so the mystery of iniquity is already at work, preparing the way for the man of sin, so that when he appears, he appears with all of Satan's delusions. Now, why? And to, in them that perish. So the whole focus is in them that perish in the community. Why? Why, are the, why is the focus to take them out? Well, he tells us it's for this reason, verse 11, that God shall send them strong delusion. And then the English says that they should believe a lie, but that's not what the Greek says. That's not what the Greek says. The Greek says that he's going to send them energion planis. It's like energetic delusion. This is powerful delusion. And God is sending it against his church. Then it says that they should believe a lie. But the Greek says, Isto pistuse, avtu to sude. Avtu to sude, that they should believe the lie. The Greek puts very clearly a definite article. It's not that they should believe a lie. It's that they should believe the lie. What is the lie? Well, certainly we can see that Satan wants to be like the Most High. And that's the ultimate lie. And God has a promise to Abraham where he says it's impossible for him to lie. So we can have strong consolation in that promise because it's impossible for God to lie. And yet those who do not love the truth, they end up going against the promise in Genesis 12. God says to Abraham, in blessing I will bless you. And all the, bless, all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. And now this, uh, this Antichrist comes along. And he curses the descendants of Jacob. He curses the descendants of, of Abraham. And those who do not love the truth get caught up in this. And so the mystery of iniquity is already at work, preparing their minds to deviate from the covenant. To not understand the, the, the covenant love that God has for Israel. And so they end up with these different movements, 
different philosophies, and, and we, we don't even know what's coming yet, but he's going to unleash incredible miracles and, and signs and wonders, and we're going to, some are going to believe that, okay, God has abandoned Jerusalem, that in fact God is in the desert, and we should go there. And the covenant, those in the covenant community are going to, going to believe the lie. And in doing that, they're calling God a liar. So this is why we say, hey, we're entering a different season because the new administration has no love for Judah. And so the hedge that's been around Judah in the Middle East as they're surrounded by their enemies, that hedge is being taken down. And if, we're, for example, I've been saying, if you're into Black Lives Matter, well, ultimately you're going to be joined with the Palestinian movement because they're all one. And then you'll get caught up in that and you'll end up destroying the DNA descendants of Abraham and the promise of the covenant. And that is believing the lie. And who, who knows what else is going to be thrown at us. But as we get caught up in this, we end up believing the lie and turning against each other. And happy, you know, the scripture says, they'll, they'll, they think they do God's service when they put you to death, when they put you out of their assembly, because they believe the lie. So, so God is doing this because he's testing the church to say, okay, who was playing? Now that we're in the sudden death period, the overtime period, I need to know who's real. And who's playing? Verse 12. So he does all of this. This is, this is his doing. Satan thinks it's his doing. But God is allowing it because God has a purpose. And he's using Satan like a tool to sharpen the church and to weed the church. Verse 12. That they all might be condemned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now just compare that to where we were earlier in verse 11 of chapter 1 where he said that we should fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness. Same word. Eudokio is the verb. So, so to have eudokio in unrighteousness, it's not that you just enjoy the pleasure of sin. It's actually, again, if we look at the Bidag, it's, to take, it's not just to take pleasure, but to consider something as good and therefore worthy of choice. To consent. That there is clear wickedness this, this violates Torah. Remember, he says, iniquity will, will abound. This violates Torah. And yet those in the covenant community choose it over Torah. They choose the wicked over their own brethren. And they fight with their brethren and they take satisfaction in the destruction of their brethren. And God is saying, you know what? I need to test for that. And I need to send strong delusion to see who will consent to iniquity. And, and because the whole society around us, they're all caught up in it, that it's easy for us to get caught up in it. And that's why God, God um, gave regard to Antipas against everything. <laughs> There's that guy again. Right? He's just against everything. He doesn't go for anything. Well, neither does God. Jesus Christ is very intolerant of wickedness. And we need to stand with Antipas, who was a faithful witness. And we're called to witness. And that word witness is actually martyr. It means it's not just that, hey, I saw this firsthand, so I can be a witness. It means I saw it firsthand, I know what's true, and I will not back down from my testimony. I will not bear false witness. I know what I saw. But then it begs the question, if we did not see the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, if we were not taught directly by him, how can we be a faithful witness? Is it just that we just warn, we just use a witness as a warning, and that's it? Or is there more? Well, we have to go to Acts 5, and we're just uh, jumping to Acts 5, one verse here. Acts 5, verse 32, where the apostles say, 
and we are his witnesses. They saw it all firsthand. We are his witnesses of these things. But then notice what also it says. So we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to them that obey him. So if we obey God, and God gives us the Holy Spirit, well, the Holy Spirit is a witness. And it's the Holy Spirit within us that can then witness and say, no, this is exactly what happened. And through searching the scriptures and being informed and educated by the Spirit with the scriptures, we can give as strong a testimony as the apostles, because we will speak their words with power. And because of that, we'll be hated by all nations. So all of this to say, we've got to preach the gospel and be faithful witnesses. We have to stand for truth, even to the point of martyrdom. That's ultimately what witnessing means, is we know the truth, and it doesn't matter. We're not going to back down from our witness. But from just reading 2 Thessalonians, and we're going to now compare this to John, what the Apostle John taught. But if we look at what the Apostle Paul is teaching and kind of putting a spotlight and, and uh, helping us understand, enlightening us, what Christ was actually saying in Matthew 24. In a nutshell, as we preach the gospel, as we uphold truth, we realize this deception that's coming, that's going to cause brother to betray brother, that, that the, 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 the son-in-law will betray the father-in-law, the mother, the daughter. As we see all of this, um, as we see all of this, we realize we cannot go along with anything that would cause us to hate our brother. That's the deception. That we can't, any, anything that comes that we, we just find ourselves uh, animated. You know, the, 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 I like to say this, the, the vocabulary is important. It's how we communicate. The vocabulary of the devil is our moods and attitudes. That's how he communicates. He injects us with moods and attitudes. So if we find that we just despise our brothers and sisters, we just, we just can't stand them, that there's a hatred in us that's rising to the point where we'd love to see them taken out, we have been infected. We've been infected with this end-time virus. That's going to take us out. So it's very simple. We cannot go along with anything. It doesn't matter what it is. We cannot go along with anything that will cause us to hate our brother. And what Paul says in terms of the mystery of iniquity comes first, and then the appearing of the Antichrist, uh, the man of sin, the wicked one, and then the appearing of Christ to take him out. John is going to say the exact same thing. So our brother Daniel, he, he read the first part of John. Uh, so you really need to just sit down and read the whole book. But let's go to 1 John 1 and pick it up at verse 6. I'll just pick it up here. He says, this is now, this is an internal matter. So we're not talking to anybody in the world. This is internal. It's an internal affair, family affair. That if we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not the truth. There's the first exhortation that we have to do the truth. We have to hold on to the truth. We have to uphold the truth. And if we're saying that we have fellowship with him, but we're walking in darkness, we're liars. So what does this walking in darkness mean? We need to unpack this. Well, John's going to explain. And hereby, we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So when I was uh, young in the church and I read this, this was all about the Ten Commandments. I just took this and read it. It's the Ten Commandments. What John is doing here, he's actually exegeting Matthew 24. So we need to read Matthew 24, 2 Thessalonians, and 1 John together. 
and and really revelation, but because it's all it's all exposed in revelation. But these, this, so we need to triangulate these scriptures. So there are commandments that Christ gave before he left. Paul fully understood those and was reminding the Thessalonians, "Look, I told you this already. This is what has to happen. Some are not going to obey the commandments." John comes along and he just tells us very plainly what these commandments are. So we know we know him if we keep his commandments. So he's going to tell us what the commandments are. He that says, "I know him." and does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. So unfortunately, brethren, what does this mean? This is a family discussion. This is internal. Within the family, there are going to be those that say they know God. They're going to be giving wonderful, powerful sermons, let's say. Uh, they're, they're everywhere. Think of um, 1 Corinthians uh, 13, the love chapter. They do all these wonderful things. And they say that they know him. And then when Christ returns, he says, I don't know you. Why? Because we're not keeping his commandments. So if we're not keeping his commandments, and, and he's, he's going to talk here about a very specific commandment, but every, it's not the Ten Commandments. Every time Christ speaks with an, in, with an imperative verb, every time there's a verb from Christ in the imperative, that's a commandment. And if we're not doing these things, especially those that specifically involve the end time, we're liars. And the truth is not in, in, in us. But whoever keeps his word... In him verily is the love of God perfected. Okay, now we're starting to understand that there's a darkness that involves disobeying his word. But then if we keep his word, by keeping his word, the love of God is actually perfected. And This again is why we keep the Passover every year. We study his death so that we can understand the love of God and understand how it can be perfected in us. And he says, hereby know we that we are in him. He that says he abides in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. And this is what we mean when we say we are Christians, is we understand how Christ walked and how he walked all the way up to his death. And we study that walk. And then we want to walk exactly like that. So how did he walk? And what are his commandments? John explains in John 15. Go to John 15. Hold your place here because we're going to come back to First John. In John 15, As the Father has loved me, verse 9, so have I loved you. Continue you in my love. So in Matthew 24, he says, he that endures until the end shall be saved. John tells us that by obeying his word, the love of God is perfected in us. So he says, the way God loved me, that's how I've loved you. You need to continue in my love. Just, Just by virtue of him commanding this, it, we know that now it's possible that we don't. If, he says, it's again, the possibility that we may not. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. This is what First John is all about. He, he was taught directly by Christ. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So it's all about following the commandments no matter what. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment. Are you ready? Have have we figured it out? This is the commandment. This is why we have to add the third exhortation. Because if we're going to survive, he's saying, you need to continue in my love. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. This is why we keep the Passover, brethren. We're trying to understand how much did God love us? How did he love us? So that we, in turn, can love our brethren. And by in loving our brethren in this way, the love of God is perfected in us, and in this way, we are now ready to reign with him. Then he says this, 
Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. What is he asking us to do here? He's saying, this is my commandment. You better love one another the way that I loved you. Now, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. So he laid down his life for us. And now what he's saying is, I don't want sticky treacle, syrupy, sugary love. Oh, I love the brethren. I don't want that. I want you to demonstrate to me that you understand what you're a part of. That you understand what it is to be a part of this truth. And you recognize others who have this truth. And that the way that I divide the world is not between black and white, Republican and Democrat, rich and poor. I don't see those divisions. The way that I divide the world is those who have this truth and those who don't. And I want you to recognize those who have those truths and love them to the point that you will lay down your life for them. And Satan hears this command, and now Satan goes about his dirty work, is to infiltrate the church and to, to, to stir up within us attitudes of hatred for those who have the truth, while we say we have the truth. And attitudes of affinity for those who don't have the truth, more affinity for those than for those that God calls his friends. These things ought not to be so here. These things ought not to be so here. Let's truly fix this problem. You're my friends if you do whatever I command you, and I'm commanding you to love each other to the point where you will lay down your life for each other. That's my command. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant does not know what his Lord does. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, I have chosen you, and ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask of my Father in my name, he will give it to you. These things I command you. What, so this is what John is saying. That anybody who says that I know God, but they don't obey him, they're a liar. So if we're constantly in conflict with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are liars. If we have these, these attitudes of hatred and we despise the brethren, we're liars because we're not obeying the command. These things I command you that you love one another. Now, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So I, I separate those, the way I divide the world, is those I've called and given my truth to. Everything the Father gave me, I've given to them. And those who don't know this. So don't be hating each other when you, when you have the truth, because the world will hate you. Because that's how the world is going to be separated. So don't go getting drunk and eating and drinking with the drunkards, the spiritually drunk. Stay clear-minded. Keep your eyes clear. And when you look at the world, see it the way I see it. And, and you may be hate, when you, when you have this, the world will hate you. But it hated me before it hated you. Don't take it personally. It's not about you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. And this is, we can't be loving its own. I mean, we, we love the world in general. We want what's best for the world. But there's a prioritization that we put on those who have the truth. But because you're not of the world, I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So we don't return that hate. So we don't, we don't hate the world. How much more can we, should it be said that we don't hate our own brethren? And yet we're allowing these worldly things to come in and cause us to despise 
California. Hold your place here. <laughs> We're going to go John, back to First John, but I just want to go to Matthew 24. In fact, I'll just read it. Verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. There it is again. And at this time shall many be scandalizo, offended, scandalizo, falling into sin. And when they do this, they shall betray one another. This is the covenant members. And they shall hate one another. It's this hatred that Satan is successful in stirring up. There's going to be many false teachers and they're going to deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. And we're going to get caught up in the wrong sense of, sense of what is justice. We're going to get caught up defending iniquity and infected by iniquity instead of saying clear-minded. But he that shall endure to the end, this is who will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations, and then the end will come. So back to John 16, he says in verse 1, 16, 1, these things, everything we just read in John 15 about loving one another, these are the things I've spoken unto you that you should not be offended. You have to put these scriptures together, brethren. The reason brethren will be scandalized, the reason uh, brethren will fall into a snare, is because they're not obeying the clear command of Jesus Christ to love one another. And this is what's going to cause them to have an affinity with the world and be taken. And the mystery of iniquity is already working and stirring up, but then when the, the, the Antichrist actually comes, he's not coming saying, hey, I'm a bad guy. Because we get screwed up with what, what is justice in our minds, he's coming with the, the, all the deceivableness of the devil. And many will be offended and taken up by him. Let's go back to First John. First John. We're just going to round the corner here. First John 2 and verse 8. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is past, and the true light now shines. He that says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even until now. So this is it, brethren. When we see these, uh, and again, we can't allow men, because this is the nature of the, the, the time we're in. It's hatred. Everybody is, even families are being torn apart. And, and hatred is immature, uh, impulsive, uh, very strong, intense attitudes and moods and, and, and and feelings of hatred and despisings. This is our world today. We cannot get caught up in it. So if we get caught up in it, and at the same time we want to come to services and declare that we're in the light, John says, that person, me, you, we're in darkness even until now. He that loves his brother abides in the light. This is the differentiator. He that loves his brother abides in the light. And listen, There is no occasion of scandalizo in him. Christ says, in this end time, many shall fall into scandalizo. Many shall be offended. John, having been taught by Christ, says, you know what? If we obey his command to love one another, there is no, the Greek is ook, zero chance of us falling into the snare. Even though the devil throws everything at the church, if we love one another, we abide in the light, and it's impossible for us to stumble. But he that hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and knows not where he goes because that darkness has blinded his eyes, his ophthalmus, 
his eyes, which is what's spoken of in Revelation 3 when God speaks to uh, the church in Laodicea, who says that, anoint your eyes, your ophthalmos, with eyesal, that you may see. So, so they're walking around in darkness. So these Laodiceans, obviously there's a hatred. They're so caught up in themselves, they don't care about each other. And if you read 1 Corinthians 11, you can get a sense of what that environment would look like. So blindness in the end time is about hating our brother. And it's interesting that, you know, Laodicea, you have uh, Laos, DK. It's the power of the people, the justice of the people. This is on the tail end where Christ introduces himself as the amen and as the beginning of creation, the alpha and the omega, the, the aleph and the tau, the beginning and the end. And he's basically saying to, to Laodicea, this is it. But Laodicea sits on one side of Philadelphia, and on the other side of Philadelphia is in Ephesus, Revelation 2, 6. He says, this you have, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. But by Pergamos, he says, in Revelation 2, 15, you have also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. So it starts out with Ephesus hating the Nicolaitans. But by the time we get to Pergamos, the Nicolaitans have come in and infected the church. So Nicolaitans, what's that? Nike, victory, laity, laos, victory over the people. That's on one side of Philadelphia. On the other side of Philadelphia is laos dike, the power of the people. And in the middle is Philae Adelphus, brotherly love. So this is the congregation that figured it out. The Pergamos congregation had a problem with leadership. The elders were into this cult of demonstrating their power and authority and crushing the, the brethren. The Laodiceans, it's the opposite. It's the brethren crushing the ministry. It's the power of the people. And who cares about structure and authority? And somehow in the middle, we have Philae Adelphus, brotherly love, understanding the structure in Ephesians 4 and understanding the power of the gifts and the whole body working together beautifully. Back to 1 John 2, verse 9. He that says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even to this day. He that loves his brother abides in the light and there's no occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hates his brother walks in darkness and knows not where he goes because the darkness has blinded him. So he says here, in fact, this, this, uh, just to find this, uh, scandala, scandalon. This, uh, when, when he says many will be offended and fall into scandalized, it's a device for catching someone. It's a trap. So, so the, 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 the man of sin is going to lay down a trap and brethren are going to head straight into it because they allow themselves to hate the brethren. It's an action or circumstances that lead one to act contrary to a proper course of action or set of beliefs. Temptation to sin, enticement to apostasy, false belief. This is exactly what uh, the Apostle Paul was teaching. So he says in verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things of the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. We have to just grow Father, uh, to grow in this love to the Father. So we just, brethren, it's so, it's, I hope it's clear, and, and I hope you will search the scriptures to see if these things are so. In, in verse uh, 26 of chapter 2, it says, These things I have written unto you concerning them that seduce you. There are those who would seduce us. 
and cause us to fall into this trap of hating one another. And that's the time that we're in. So I just want to conclude here, and, and I'll just skip these passages, but, but please read the, um, the, 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 this, this letter of 1 John. But in, in verse 15 of chapter 3, in fact, verse 14, we know, this is something we can know, that we have passed from death unto life. How do we know that? Because we love the brethren. This is the acid test. If we're in this covenant, we're not in it by ourselves. And so many of us have this. We've been seduced by the devil to think, oh, it's just me and God. It's just me. I'm just so righteous. It's just me and God. I love the Lord. And we despise our brethren. And God is saying, no, I, I will take you out. If that's your attitude, I'm going to stir up such a strong delusion. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. But this mystery of iniquity is already at work. And when the man of sin is finally revealed, coupled with his parousia, is the destruction of the household of faith. It's the taking out wholesale of many brethren in this sudden death over time period. And we can't be, oh, uh, that wouldn't happen to me. What John is saying, having been taught by Christ, is if we don't have this deep love for the brethren, we, God will see to it that we're taken out. That, that's the whole purpose in Second Thessalonians of the man of sin being held back to be revealed at a very specific time with all the power of deceivableness of the devil focused on them that are going to perish because they didn't love the truth. And here John is giving us the key. That we pass from death to life because we love the brethren. He that loves not his brother abides in death. It couldn't be said any plainer. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Hereby we perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us. John 15. He called us his friends. He laid down his life for us. Then he commanded us to love each other the way he loved us, the way God loved him. Hereby we perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So just a couple of points, brethren, and I, I, I'm not going to get into detail, but as we prepare for the Passover, the reason we celebrate his death every year is to study his death, to understand his commitment, to understand the joy that was set before him and why he went to the, 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 the slaughter without opening his mouth? What was his purpose? And then he commands us to follow him and to be like him. So this year, brethren, as you keep the Passover, and we don't know what circumstances you may be keeping it in, but take it seriously, brethren. As you ingest the bread, the broken body, it shows that you're part of the body. When all those pieces come together, that's the body. I had given a sermon years ago called Discerning the Lord's Body, and some people were offended by it. But, but I hope now it's become clearer. We have to discern the Lord's body. We're part of this body. So a couple of things to focus on while we head into Passover. Number one, brethren, stop bickering. Stop being petty. Don't chase after ego things, proving that you're something. Don't do it, brethren. The, 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 the passage in Philippians comes to mind. Esteem others better than yourself. 
That's how we should operate. Don't weaken the body. Number two, if you have a problem in the body, sit down and sort it out there. Let's be adult Christians. And, and, and be adults as well in ingesting the word of God. You know, here locally in Burlington and Ottawa, we have an after-sermon discussion. Why do we do that? Why do we implement this? Because we do not want a uh, you know, parent-child relationship with the brethren, where we tell you what's what and you don't dare disagree with us. We want a mature relationship. We are brethren. We are under-shepherds. Christ is our shepherd. And so we have this relationship where we speak, and nobody's above the word of God. So afterwards, we can come together, and brethren can say, uh, you missed a scripture here that seems to contradict what you said. Can you explain? Can you? And so it just gives us a chance to clarify. But it also allows us to digest. That when I hear how somebody else digested the message with their life experience and their understanding of scripture, it helps me digest it as well. And so iron sharpens iron. So let's be adults. Let's mature in Christ. Grow in grace and knowledge. And I think, brethren, between now and Passover, think about your relationship with the elders. That, and elders, I would appeal if any elders are listening, think about your relationship with the members. Because we have Pergamos, which allowed the Nicolaitan doctrine in, where you have these churches that crush their members and puff up themselves. I'm a prophet. I'm the king. I sit on David's throne. And you need to obey me. This is Nicolaitan cult. And then on the other side, we have Leos Dike. So we have Nike Leos and Leos Dike, where the members overthrow all authority and, and dictate what's going to be what. And then in the middle, we have Phile Adelphos, brother, the church of brotherly love that God commends highly. And in that church of brotherly love, they've sorted out Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. So we need to figure this all out, brother and have healthy, mature relationships. And finally, brethren, contribute to your congregation. Christ evaluates the congregations on their works. Come together in your congregation and work together. That the body depends on all the parts to get things done. Don't just be off on your own doing your own thing. I mean, it's important that you do your own thing. To develop your ability to then be part of the body. So those are just some quick thoughts, but there's so much more that we need to be doing. And think of Matthew 25. In terms of sudden death over time, think of the five virgins that were wise and the five virgins that were foolish. And then at midnight, a cry was made, Behold, the bridegroom comes. Go you out to meet him. And some were just not ready. And so eventually, brethren, this period that we're in, it's going to end, and it's going to end suddenly. And we started this series by saying, by putting the letters in Revelation 2 and 3 together, we get a vision of what God is holding out for us. We're going to eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God. We're going to wear a crown of life forever. We'll never be hurt by the second death. We will see people hurt by the second death and taken out of existence, but that will never touch us. We will eat the hidden manna. We will each receive a white stone and etched with a secret new name. We will have power over the nations and rule them with a rod of iron and bring them in conformity with Christ. 
and we will walk with Christ in white. Think, think of the earth, knowing, that, knowing the creator, and knowing that the creator is on the earth, and we in fact will walk with him in white. And when they look at the creator, they will also see us walking beside him in white. And our name will never be blotted out of the book of life. Some names will be. Ours will never be. In fact, our name will be confessed by Christ before the Father and the angels. This holy assembly, Christ will actually speak our name to the Father and the angels. And we will be a pillar in the temple of God, and we will never be put out. And the name of God and the city of God and Christ's new name will be written upon us. And we will sit with Christ on his throne. I conclude, brethren, with 1 John 2, verse 10. He that loves his brother abides in the light. And there is no occasion of stumbling in him. None. Brethren, the seasons are changing. Watch the Middle East. Watch Jerusalem. The hedge is being removed from Judah. The buds on the fig tree are appearing. We should know summer is near. Brethren, we're in sudden death overtime. May you play your part on Christ's team. May you play it well, with commitment, with intensity, and may you never fail, never fall. Victory is just around the corner. God bless you, brethren. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor Agent. I was here for a moment. I was speechless. I didn't know what to say. But what a message and what appropriate message coming into the Passover season, just being 55 days from today. And it is amazing how we can inspire one another coming from one, one message to the another, creating three parts and who knows, maybe even going to four parts, but it's just amazing how God, how, how God's Holy Spirit can inspire one another and just doing this thing as a, as a team. And brethren, there is so many things that we can take out of this message, this important message. And hopefully we all have listened with our, not just our hearts, not just our ears, but also with our hearts and especially with our minds. And yes, we can say amazing things with our tongues, with our mouths. But eventually, all of those things that we say will be put into a test. I would say detest. That will be tried by fire, just to see what is in our, into our heart. Before God will grant us this immortal life, eternal life forever, being a part of a first fruit. So thank you again, Pastor Agent. Uh, wonderful message and and brethren let me do a closing prayer right now I'm still trying to find the proper words how to express myself but we'll have a closing prayer and right after the closing prayer we'll go to the last closing hymn which is on page 217 onward Christian soldiers so let's just bow our heads in humility as we pray together, O oh, great and loving Father, again, what a privilege it is to come before you 
and eat from your table. Eat the spiritual food that was presented to us here today. And Father, whatever we have learned through the last, whatever numbers of weeks, Father, one of the most important things, as we go out and preach this gospel, Father, and as we try with everything to uphold the truth, Father, if our motive, if our attitude is not right, we will fail. And how our attitude, what's at the heart, what's at the bottom of whatever we, we do should be is love for you and love for one another. And Father, these fruits will just come out with such a strong passion. Father, we have this love for one another. And for you, Father, it will be so much easier to go about the business of preaching the gospel and upholding the true even till our death. And Father, thank you for another message. And Father, thank you for all our elders who work so hard to keep us in line with the scripture. And also, Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit that help us to know what is your true will. And as his Father say goodbye, to our audience, just be with every single one of, of us who hear this message, blast us, protect us, and Father, hopefully help us to inspire to this great, amazing love that we'll be able to die for one another. So, Father, thank you so much for all the wonderful blessings that we received this Sabbath. We thank you. We praise you. We thank your son for everything that he did for us and will do. And in, in whose name we, Father, ask for all these things. Amen.